This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands Podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports, Sports Radio, 94 WIP. As we always start the pod, I am Elliot Shore Parks here with Kyle Newbeck. Kyle sporting a fresh new haircut, looking uh, looking good. And Dealing Odyssey- with some bedhead still, though. You know, yeah. I, I, I still almost put a hat on, but mm. I tried to comb it a little bit before. Well, I'm, the, uh... I'm, I'm happy you didn't because it looks good. But I'll also say <laughs> uh, uh, energized Kyle Newbeck. And I want to say it's because of the Sixers win. I know you were up late, but I feel like for the first time since we recorded this pod, it's really a beautiful moment in the pod. Something I tweeted has you a little bit upset. So we are going to start off, Kyle, with maybe pizza talk, it sounds like. Okay. Well, so I did get some coffee in me this morning, which I guess you're good to go. All right. Energy. Yeah. Uh, So Elliot yesterday, in case anybody happened to miss it, (laughs) had a a take on pizza after people got on Nick Sirianni for eating Pizza Hut. I agree with you on to the extent that uh, that's the stuffed crust pizza place. If you're going to one, like I don't, I I think stuffed crust pizza is bad. There, there's another take for you. Like I wouldn't order it. Real quick, let me provide a bit of background. Uh, <laughs> so, because in case Sixers fans are like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Nick Sirianni at a press conference said on Sunday, him and his coaches were watching the game. And as part of watching the game, they ordered food and he ordered Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza. And everybody on Twitter proceeded to dunk on him for ordering Pizza Hut. Continue. Okay. So, I don't have a problem with, you know, you want to defend him for ordering Pizza Hut. I, I eat cheap garbage food from time to time. Like I'm mm-hmm. not above any of that. Where you went wrong is in your tweet, your point number two, you said all pizza is pretty much the same. Yes. That is like very clearly not true. Okay. If you wanted, if you had said all pizza or like all pizza is relatively good, that's fine because like there are definitely times when I don't want to spend. 20 bucks or $25 for a large pizza from like a mom and pop store or like a better pizza place. And I'm fine with getting the like $9.99 medium pizza from Domino's, the two Mm -hmm. topping, like whatever. That's fine. It's the same way that sometimes I'll eat McDonald's or Taco Bell or Wendy's or Chick-fil-A or whatever it is. Like sometimes you'd rather have something like that than like a nice sit down meal. So there there are levels of food that you want at any given time. But to suggest that like Frank Pepe's in New Haven is the same as like, yeah, I'm going to order a uh, 
uh, stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. That's an absurd. All right, so here's absurd premise. Here's here's you'll get the background to the tweet. Okay, here here's what was annoying me is everybody dunking on Sirianni being like, oh, how could you eat Pizza Hut? I order this place and it's so much better. Or he's in South Philly. There's such great pizza there. And I'm not disputing that there's great, great pizza in South Philly. There is. And I agree. If you put the best slice of pizza from Philly, and if you blindfolded somebody and put the best slice of pizza in Philly in front of them, and then a Pizza Hut pizza, you would be able to tell the difference. I agree that there is a difference there. My point was, First of all, the dude just wanted stuffed crust. So everybody lay off of him. And, I, and where it also came from was That like, part's fair. I agree with you on that part. I just hated the whole like, you know, well, I try this cool pizza place. I felt like there was a lot of dunking on him and being like, I try way better pizza than you. And this is my thing with restaurants in general, but I'll continue on pizza. I think if I put the best 15 slices in the city in front of you, you would be unable to tell the difference. And I think if I put the 10 best slices in front of you and I mixed in three random slices that weren't Pizza Hut, but like random slices from anywhere in the city, you would be unable to be like, okay, this is one of the three that is not $30 for a pie instead of $10, right? So yes, are there varying degrees a little bit? Maybe, but ultimately I just know whenever I wait for great pizza, it always just basically tastes the same as if I just order a random pizza from somewhere. You got to expand your pizza horizons. I do expand my pizza horizons. Look, I live in South Philly. I eat good pizza. Uh, It's not that. I'm just saying I felt personally, there was a lot of like, dunking on him unfairly acting like if you eat better pizza you're a better person and i'm just saying all pizza is relatively the same like that that's where i came down with it i so you think if i put 15 slices in front of you and you took a bite of each you could say which were the elite ones and which were like the cheaper ones yes man because they're like <laughs> there's no way there's no most way. most like chain pizza their big failing is it's more dough than anything else like you get so much of the dough that there's no taste to the sauce and it's like a very thin i don't want to say like almost microwaved layer of cheese but it's trending in that direction it's yeah it's close but But i agree i agree i agree with you on the you know layoff sirianni point it's like they were just ordering pizza to chill around and watch football or whatever and if you're ordering from like a good pizza place in south philly on a game day like a football sunday you're gonna have to wait forever whereas pizza hut they're used to churning these out or like Domino's forever the only place i would not endorse him getting from is little caesars because that you might as well go to like 7-eleven and get a pizza which is i would agree with that little caesars at the bottom and you know little caesars if you want to sponsor the pod we're more than happy to see how (laughs) but but as of now i agree that they would they would be near the bottom but this is another uh this is like kind of spawned off another take and look we both live in the city there's great restaurants in the city so i'm not making i'm not like shitting on great restaurants what i'm saying is i think that oftentimes if you go to a great restaurant and you pay like 250 dollars for a meal you're basically paying for the experience and the name more than you are more so the food. I think you can get the same food kind of basically everywhere. It's just if the place is nicer, if it's been labeled one of the best restaurants, they're able to overcharge. So that is kind of where this all kind of spawns from of saying, look, this food is basically the same everywhere. It's kind of just where you get it in terms of the experience and the cost. So I'm, I'm like halfway on that one because right. there are definitely there are absolutely restaurants where you are paying for 
the ambiance and all that. And yeah. I, I have been disappointed in restaurants um, that trend in that direction. Like I've gone, to, gone to restaurants like that, that people recommended. And I'm like, eh, this is, I'm mostly paying for somebody yeah. to serve me well and all that. Like, great. That's all well and good. I have absolutely been places that are the opposite that you can tell the difference in quality of prepara preparation, quality of ingredients, so on and so forth. Like that's just, I, I will say, and I won't say the restaurant's name, but, uh, Last, I think it was Valentine's Day. Me and Kristen had just moved into the city. We moved in, well, not just. We moved in in like November, December. So it was February. It was like a month or two. And I went to find a restaurant. And this is where my kind of lack of really caring about the food bit us. We booked an Italian place. It was in Center City. Maybe this is where my take spawned from. It was super expensive. And the food was really bad. And we got there. And it was like, <laughs> almost like, it was like the Olive Garden for like college kids, whereas if like they have extra money, they're bringing their dates. We're the only people in their 30s. Everyone else was in their young 20s, but not like hip and trendy 20 year olds. Like it was just not the ambiance was not there. So maybe my bad experience at that fine dining has uh, has has ruined my food food elsewhere. You got to pick better places, bro. Like well, here, I'll yeah. give you recommendation. Uh, Hiroki in Fishtown, if you like okay. sushi. It, you're gonna pay a bunch of money for like tasting. Is that the spot where the there. door is like a um a barrel? Okay, I it's right next to uh, Mulheron and Sons. I went there okay. with Kendall for her birthday the one year, and she still tells people about how good it was. All right. So, so I want to go there. I have actually seen that on Instagram, and I so and we'll just keep going with this. I haven't found it hard <laughs> to get good sushi in the city as opposed to outside the city. Yeah, but it is that? a different level of like dining and food and whatever we got to sit at the the sushi counter and the guy who runs the restaurant prepared it all in front of you like oh, wow. hand mixes the wasabi and the sushi it's that because kind of he, thing did he know he know who you were it was like oh shit we got kyle newbeck in the spot no, no there's an there's an off podcast uh anecdote from that, trip <laughs> right. that i'll tell you about another time but all let's right, get back to uh yeah. why we're here well, the good news is, and this is how you know things are going well with the Sixers, there's nothing to panic about with this team right now, which is kind of where I thrive sometimes. But in terms of the actual game, they won last night against the Clippers, uh, ended up winning by 10. Embiid, unbelievable performance once again. Casually drops 41, and it's it's not even really talked about, right? It's just like, oh, he dropped 41 again. Harden didn't have a great game scoring wise. Uh, only finished with six. Didn't points. have a great game. Period. Let's yeah, just, we can be fair. <laughs> yeah, didn't have a great game. Period. Um, had almost like a Ben Simmons type of line, but uh, and then Maxi was really good off the bench. So look, they're eight and two in their last ten games. Only two teams in the league have a better record in the last ten, and and then the Celtics, I believe, are tied with them over the last ten. So they're playing amongst the best basketball in the entire NBA. And uh, I guess just what what were your thoughts from from the game? I mean, Joel played maybe a B or B minus game and had mm -hmm. 41 points. Yeah. And I, I think that game also showed we can see the levels of effort with him, right? Like start mm -hmm. of that game and in the third quarter, I thought Joel very clearly paced himself. There are some defensive possessions where he's not even contesting shots. Like he's not even giving you a token, like put the arm up, try to, you know, wave a hand in somebody's face it's yeah Zubats is going up for a layup and he's just kind of standing there the second and fourth quarters he came out like he was trying to just absolutely destroy those guys on both ends of the floor like 
turns the ball over and is making a ridiculous chase down block on the other end to make up for it. He was ruthlessly efficient in part because he ran the floor in the second quarter, I think as well as I've seen him all season, like cleaning up misses and transition, getting passes from Harden on drop-offs that he's immediately dunking or scoring a layup on, whatever it is. I also think you're starting to see – I know that I, I thought the concern about him being a pick-and-roll big man was overblown when they brought Harden in, even though a lot of people were skeptical he could do this. I do think you've seen him get better in the ways that he needs to out of that look. Like He's never had the best hands – but his hands look better in these situations. Mm-hmm. Like Tobias Harris threw him an entry pass last night that Joel just had to kind of like tip to himself a couple of times in traffic, which is a really difficult thing to do. And then he uses his shoulder, throws Zubats off him, clears the space and scores a layup. And it's like, it sh- sort of shows the difference between Joel even like a year ago compared to now where right. he can just hurt you in so many different ways. And the fact that I can look at that game and say, you know, that's not an A-level game for Joel, yet it's still any guy in the league would be proud to walk out of there with that performance, shows the level that he's at. And, you know, I, the standings are very fluid right now in both conferences because a lot of these teams from like one through five are pretty bunched up. But they're a half game off of second in the East behind mm-hmm. the Bucks, like one win back. It's just a a difference in uh, the amount of games they've played. They very well could, depending on what they do between now and the All-Star break, they could go into the post-All-Star break stretch of the season, have the second-best record in the East, and be looking at, you know, having home court against anybody except for Boston in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Like, that's a huge deal that they're at this point right now when you consider James was hurt for a month, Tyrese is out for six weeks, they're experimenting with their starting lineups and their rotations. And, you know, Joel has missed some time, like missed double digit games. So the fact that they're here, one, I think Joel needs to start getting some stronger MVP consideration because I feel like uh, Nikola Jokic has been on an absolute tear and deserves like his place within the conversation, despite the fact that I think it'd be insane for him to win three straight awards. But I think Joel needs to get just as much talk right now. Like, he is powering this team to a great stretch, a great run. They're a top five defense in the league. They've gotten way better on offense now that James Harden is back. And they are, he is going to have as good a case as anybody to win MVP as long as he stays healthy the rest of the year. Well, I think what you're seeing with Joel, and this was my worry about his chances of winning MVP. Um, early on in the season, I had a debate with my friends about could he win MVP? And I thought the fact that he had finished twice, two years in a row, uh, voters might just be bored of him, kind of, right? Like the, the debate, I think sometimes is, is, does the media hate Joel? I almost feel the media takes Joel for granted more than maybe personally hates him, and not personally, but I don't think they have a, van, a vendetta against Joel. I think that he's been so great that a performance like last night when he drops 41 points almost just gets overlooked and just it doesn't get the proper kind of recognition it deserves. And early on in the year when Joel had that great stretch, you know, of 40 plus games, 50 plus games, like games you've never seen in Sixers history, the team was winning in in those games, but they were fifth in the East. They were six, right? Now what I think you're seeing is because everyone around him is playing better too, that they could end up with that number one seed. And fair, not, whatever, the fact that they could end up higher in, you know, if not number one, number two, 
that's obviously going to help his MVP case. I mean, I thought last year when Jokic got it, he shouldn't have got it, number one. But I thought one of the more unfair parts of it was the Sixers were way better than the Nuggets were last year. And what did the Nuggets finish last year? Was it fifth, I think, in the West? So I think the record was not that different, which is why... But, but yeah, seeding-wise, the Nuggets were were lower in the uh, the stand. It was mostly right. like that was a function of... To be fair to Jokic, that was more a function of the Western Conference versus the East. That's fair. That that's fair. My thing last year though, though was Jokic dragged that team to the five seed. Like, let's not act like they were a super special team. He was a great player. They weren't a super special team last year. This year, I think the Sixers have the makings of a special team. We've talked about it a lot on the pod. The way they're playing, the way Harden's playing, eight and two in their in their last ten. And so that I do think is going to help Joel, obviously, in his chances because his numbers are always good. He put up great numbers last year. He put up great numbers early in the year. I think now he's getting more consideration, to your point, because the team is better and they're getting back to the top of the Eastern Conference. Unfortunately for him, the Nuggets are the number one seed in the West right now. So Dude, they just can't, uh... <laughs> they can't give it to Jokic again. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, he keeps playing like this and they finished first in the West. He's probably going to win the award. Whether <laughs> I think he should win it or not, I think that's what's going to happen. Do you think the fact he won it the last two years will impact will sway voters from voting for him a third time? There will be some people like, so here's the thing. A lot of Philadelphia fans, media, whatever, like to make the claims like the media hates Joel or they're biased against Joel, whatever it is. It's like, there are people in the voting block that are biased against everybody, right? Like you and I, if we were to, neither one of us are MVP voters, right? But we have our view on, this is what I like in basketball. Like mm-hmm. you're a real offense, offense, offense yeah. guy, which is why I'm surprised you're not a bigger Jokic guy because he <laughs> he might be the single best offensive player in the league if you well, account commits, for everything. He commits the ultimate sin for me, which is being a center. So ultimately <laughs> he falls down my list. Right. But like, so I'm more of a, a two-way guy. Like I care about defense. And that's why I've always thought that somebody like Joel gets shafted in these conversations because the two-way play that Joel is offering relative to a lot of his other peers, he's at a way higher level just because of the defensive side of the ball and everything that he does there. Now, there are also people who they want to be entertained as much as they want someone to be truly great, right? Like Tim Duncan probably had a claim on more MVPs than he ended up winning, yeah. but his game was not about, I'm going to score you know, 30 points a game. It's what am I going to do that's going to make the team best and how do I just we churn out these 50 win seasons as if it's like it's really easy and you know somebody might be fatigued voting for Jokic or somebody might be fatigued voting for Embiid like there are very different people that make up this voting block like there are overseas voters voters from China and Italy and Spain and whatever there's voters from every market there's TV people there's you know it's such a a big group of voters from that come from all these different mindsets that grew up with basketball in different ways that I think for me to try to figure out how they're going to vote is, is pretty impossible. Well, but, but my thing with the whole Embiid versus Jokic debate, you're right. There's no debate, obviously on the defensive side of the court. Not only is Embiid one of the best defensive players in the league, Jokic is a minus on, on defense. So the, the gap couldn't, couldn't be wider. What I've never understood is this idea that Jokic is better on offense than Joel is. Joel's a better scorer. He's a better three-point shooter. He's better, I think, down in the paint, or at least debatable. I think he's a more powerful powerful force down in the paint. He's got the mid-range jumper. 
it's really just passing for Jokic. That's it. Yeah, but, but Joel, that's but Joel's it's way such better, a huge but difference. Joel's there. a way better scorer, though. Right, he has so in seven less games this year, he has 111 more points. He's leading, I think he's still leading the league in scoring. He's a way better scorer than Jokic. So, yes, Jokic is a better passer, but Embiid is way better at scoring and he can shoot. He Jokic does not shoot threes. Trust me, as someone that looks at that over-under of half a three every night for Jokic. I'm well aware of where he is making and not making threes. Embiid attempts and makes threes all the time. Jokic barely does it. I don't see, like, it, when the gap on defense is so big, if the gap on offense shouldn't be viewed as big as it is, I think Embiid's better on offense than Jokic. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I, I can't agree with that. Like I, whatever case you want to make for Joel, you have to at least concede that as an overall offensive player, Jokic is, he might be the single best offensive player. Well, but tell me, tell me why, because is it just his, the, the value? Cause like, so here's the thing. His passing would be great regardless of the position he plays. Right. Because mm -hmm. anyone who's averaging essentially double digit assists every game, it, that's a huge deal on any team. Like we give Harden all kinds of credit yeah. for, you know, piling up these gaudy assist numbers to do it at a position where you really don't get playmaking and to be like a, a one of one type playmaker at that position that fundamentally changes how you can structure the team. Like you don't need guards. So like, so if Tyrese Maxey was on the nuggets, for example, his lack of playmaking as a guard doesn't really even matter because you can run the entire offense and make other guys better simply by having Jokic on the floor. Like he's that level of playmaker in a way that like it fundamentally can change how you set up a team. So like, I don't, I'm not ever going to make the case that Joel is better as an overall offensive player. I do think though, to a point you made earlier, he is a victim of his own success to a point because, you know, last season, he becomes the first center since Moses Malone to average 30 points a game. Mm -hmm. He's the first center since Shaquille O'Neal to lead the league in scoring. Like these are huge, monumental, historic achievements. And he follows that up with this is a, a better, like almost way better scoring right. season for Joel, right? Like he's up several points a game in, in just like raw scoring. His field goal percentage is way up. He hasn't even shot the three well most of this year and his averages are up all over the mm -hmm. board. So you could say like he's leaving money on the table and might even get better down the stretch run. Like we could be looking at 34 points a game and he might end up at like 54, 55% from the field, despite the fact that 
this guy is not just shooting dunks and layups. Like this is a lot of yeah. mid range jumpers and long twos and what have you. He's been awesome. Like he's one of the single best scorers in the league. And I do think when you get to, you know, April, May, and June, I think you could make the case that what Joel does in terms of isolation scoring and being able to throw him the ball and he might just make shots over somebody that might loom larger than what Jokic does, which is mostly like he is great at getting positioning and being ultra efficient and just staying around the paint or taking open threes or whatever it is. And then passing when guys send any sort of pressure from elsewhere on the floor, but there isn't the same like overwhelming physicality that could maybe, you know, make a difference in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see what Denver looks like in the playoffs this year, because Assuming they stay healthy, this will be the first time in a couple of years that he's had a real team around him. But I don't yeah, want this to worry. turn too you much into Embiid versus Jokic because I, I think both guys are absolutely incredible basketball players. They go about their business very different ways. My point here is only Joel should be firmly in this MVP conversation, absolutely deserves to get votes where we stand right now. He's had an incredible season, is in the midst of an awesome run. And you know, I want that to be the focus of the conversation. I also think, like, yeah. and we've gotten into this before on the podcast, people need to start like enjoying the Sixers team, right? Like mm -hmm. this guy's in the midst of another, like adding to his Hall of Fame resume type season. Like he has been one of the best players in basketball yet again for the third straight year. The Sixers are on pace to maybe be the number two seed in the East, despite starting slow, despite PJ Tucker looking old as hell and getting basically nothing from their offseason acquisitions aside from DeAnthony Melton. And they just keep going because Embiid and Harden have been really, really good. Like that is something worth celebrating. It's worth enjoying. Like I know that everybody's hung up on the lack of playoff success in recent years and they don't trust Doc. They don't trust James. They don't trust Joel, whatever. But if you're not going to enjoy watching the games, if every yeah. win is just like, well, do it in the playoffs, then I don't know why you'd bother, bother following the team at all. Like that just doesn't seem fun at all. Uh, two things. One, I agree with you that the focus should be on Joel and I'm, and we will keep it there. The last thing I'll say though, in about that in the Jokic thing is what makes the lack of focus on Joel to me frustrating is because Jokic gets all this attention. Right. So I think to a certain sure. degree, to a certain degree, the lack of focus on Joel is because of Jokic, so it's hard to discuss them with, without the other ones. But but to your point about the, the Sixers, they're a fun team to watch, too. It isn't like they're winning these games, you know, 98 to 90, or I guess that's like a way too, you know, 80 score for a game. But, like, they're scoring a ton of points. I mean, Embiid and Harden are playing excellent together. I saw something on Twitter today. I think they have the most, uh, like, assisted baskets to each other of any duo in the NBA. Um, they've really started to play together well. The point you made earlier on, I wanted to to comment on, but we we got off on a tangent. Is you talking about Joel improving with his hands and he's been better, you know, at, at receiving passes and all that? I think sometimes too with Joel, where we get a little spoiled, is we don't talk about the improvements in his game because he's already so good. But something little like that, we've talked on this pod so much about how Harden's been a more willing catch and shoot guy, how Tobias has improved in a lot of ways, how good Melton's been. And Joel, it's kind of like, well, Joel is really great, 
But you're right. He has also made improvements of his game. I mean, even just the mid-range jump shot thing is a new wrinkle that he's really like, you can tell to summarize, you can really tell he is into being great this year. He's worked hard to do it. He's focusing on what's best for the team. He's working with Harden. Like, I think he's putting together what could end up being his best season. So, I mean, you look at that fourth quarter against the Clippers on Tuesday night. He comes back into the game. I want to say it was like a six-point game, something like that, when he checks back into the game. Immediately hits a mid-range jumper. He pins a, I believe it was Terrence Mann, layup attempt to the backboard. They go down the other way. Joel catches a pass at the elbow. They send pressure. He hits George Niang on the wing, open three, and that's it's. That's like a five-point swing in Philadelphia's favor on top of him saving two points on the other end on the layup attempt. And like that's the sort of power he has to impact the game just by coming back in. Like You can get him the ball. He goes out and scores. He ends a possession on the other end, and the, the attention he draws can create an open shot for somebody else. And all of a sudden, a game that looks like it's hanging in the balance is now you know a double-digit lead. For yeah. the Sixers, like that's the sort of transformative impact he can have on a game, and I just, I do think he's being taken for granted both locally and nationally. Like, it's yeah, Joel is great, and Sixers fans love him. Like, he has oversold the whole. Well, they all want to trade me, blah blah blah. But God, that feels like there is a now. yeah, there is a <laughs> level of you know, everyone expects him to just be. A plus great every night, which nobody in the league is. Like we, I've right. talked about it with Giannis. Giannis has had a disappointing season by his standards. Now, disappointing for him is still, you know, 30 points a game with great defense and, and what have you. But these guys set their own bar. And so it, it makes it easy to fall into the trap of, uh, well, Joel only had 30 tonight. So he had a bad game. And mm. that's like a C plus Joel Embiid game. And I get it because I do think you you obviously can see even within this great outing against the Clippers, there are levels to this. And we know that. And it's why when Joel loafs around or has a bad game, I, I call him out for it because I know what he's capable of. This yeah. is not a guy who walks into any game and should like drop his head like, oh, this can be a long night. He can change the the whole momentum of a game he can change the demeanor of his team just by leading by example he doesn't have to be mr rah-rah in the huddle or, or any of that stuff he goes out there and plays like he did on tuesday the rest of the team's gonna follow and i i don't think we've said this yet but like that was another like they beat the clippers comfortably like, that's mm-hmm. a good talented team they had both Kawhi and pg healthy for that game and they want they were when the starters checked out of the game, a few minutes left in the fourth, Sixers are up by 17. Not a close game when it mattered. Yeah. No, I mean, and third straight win, which is impressive on the West. Uh, I said, did you see the quote from Joel? Um, I guess he's eight and oh in the Staples Center that uh, in his career he's never lost. And he said something like, Well, I have a pretty good record against the Knicks and Bulls, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was great. You know. Uh, three weeks ago, I would have hated that quote, but now that he's playing great, you know, I love when Joel. He's right that. though. He's he's, he's right. Kills those teams. Yeah. Now those teams are trash, basically. But yes, those are. But before we move on to something else, um, I I agree with with what you're saying a hundred percent. I do think what I kept thinking when you were saying about how great he's playing is, man, I hope he's healthy for the playoffs. 
But also, I do think it's unfair, last Jokic thing I'll say, that Jokic's lack of playoff success is never held against him. Like, people just always say how great Jokic is doing. They never bring up the lack of playoff success with him the way that they do Joel Embiid. So that is the last Jokic thing I'll say. I'll move on from that. But- I, again, I'll say they're like... You can make excuses for him too, because like it was basically him and a bunch of nobodies because the Jamal Murray injury and all yep. that other stuff. Um, but yeah, like the one the one series they played Phoenix in the playoffs here, Phoenix went to the finals. He's basically a traffic cone in the game that mattered. Chris mm-hmm. Paul dotted him up from mid-range on like six straight possessions in the final. And there have been a couple games where he got his team's it. going out. Here's the thing. No, here's where I think there is a real conversation to be had about how they're talked about. Jokic got thrown out of that game for acting out and like yeah. making a violent play at somebody. If Joel had done that, it would have been a national story. Like right. he's getting called a, a sore loser and a baby and all kinds of other shit. And he cried after but, game seven in Toronto and people still right. bring that up. Yeah, and so I think some of that is like we can say the doughy white guy gets a little more of a favorable uh, pass from the media for shit. Like, oh, the other thing, Nikola Jokic like clotheslining uh, Markeith Morris last year. Yeah, knocked him out for you know most of that season. You had whiplash and some other stuff. I'm not defending what Markeith Morris did on, on on that play that led to that confrontation, but again. Joel Embiid does that. He's a thug and he's this and he's that. And like Jokic mostly just skated for doing that. That's where I do think you see a big difference. Like things like that, Joel gets talked about way differently than Jokic does. Despite the fact that Jokic has had a bad temper and heated moments and has basically seen no repercussions for it. I, I, I agree with everything you said. And I, again, I'll wrap this up by saying, I didn't think Joel had a chance at the MVP earlier in the year. He is playing well enough and putting together a good enough year that he should, you're you're right, be firmly in that like top three consideration. And you've said a few times they're in the race for the second seed. I think obviously they are. I wouldn't completely put it past them that they passed the, the Celtics. There's a lot of a lot of time left. They're playing really well. I know the Celtics are too. So it'll Their be strength harder. of schedule is the biggest. They have like the single worst schedule in the league from okay. now until the end of the year. Like their March, if they like that's the honestly the biggest. Yes, it's probably the biggest hurdle between them and the number two seed as it stands. Like if you were just looking at these teams with health in mind and current form in mind i absolutely think the sixers could be the second seed in the east the Mm -hmm. one thing that really makes me hesitate is that i don't know how they're going to deal with that schedule now this west coast swing i know these aren't all great teams like the lakers have been pretty bad and didn't have ad Mm -hmm. utah is they're okay like they've been a, a fringe playoff team whatever they are this year but if they can get out of this west coast trip Four and one or five and zero. I mean, maybe they lose these next two, and it's all doom and gloom again. Right. But that will tell you a little something about how the rest of the season might go. So, what did you think of Maxi coming off the bench? Um, you know, we, we talked awesome. about him. Um, he, yeah, was, <laughs> yeah. So we talked about this uh, last pod, and I think we've always kind of agreed his skill set is great for coming off the bench. So if we we talked, we got deep into it on the last pod about the politics of it. You know the the contract, the agent, the vibes, the locker room, all those things. But since we did that conversation, 
Now we just talk about him on how it helps the team. I mean, he he was awesome off the bench last night for them. Well, so we've discussed a lot that stretch to start fourth quarter is where James Harden has been like their guy, right? He's mm -hmm. been, it, it's not really closing, but it's whatever. It's like the setup man. And basically yeah. he's like pitching the eighth inning. And then Joel Embiid comes in and he's the, the fourth quarter closer at the end of games. Maxi was essentially the the setup guy last night, and the Clippers decided because for God knows what reason Doc decided to play Montrez Harrell again, despite he played maybe the worst seven minutes of any Sixers player all year in the first <laughs> half. And Doc was like, you know what, going right back to that guy in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, not doing himself many favors with the fan base on that. No, one. we try to defend him so much. The good news is, again, these mistakes are happening at. 12 o'clock at night. So no one's really. Uh, yeah. Being so, so anyway, that. so Trez plays and Ty Lu decides he's going to play Moses Brown, who he's like seven, two, I want to say he's huge. And mm -hmm. I think the idea was the Clippers are going to try to kill Philly on the glass while they have this kind of smallish lineup out there. Now, the side effect of that is that Tyrese has room to shoot when he turns the corner on dribble handoffs and pick and rolls. And yeah, he got on one of these vintage maxi runs that I don't think we've really seen in a while. It was, I want to say, three straight pull-up threes where defense gave him just enough space and he was confident enough, nails them. And then he makes it, he gets fouled at the free throw line, scores two more there. Or yeah, fouled on a jumper at the free throw line, I should say. Right. Picks up two more at the free throw line. Um it's just one of those reminders that, yeah, when he's rolling, there is a special offensive talent there that the Sixers have. I think to get back into the politics of it, though, one thing that it was something, you know, that we're going to have to keep an eye on moving forward. Melton was not good mm -hmm. in that game. And I know that, you know, Tyrese has had the right attitude about this. I don't have any fears of Tyrese himself. Well, like thinking about, oh, he played bad, so I deserve more. Like Tyrese got plenty of burn last night, huge impact on the game. All that was playing in the minutes that mattered in the fourth quarter. But, you know, the people around him are going to look at that situation and be like, well, sure. Melton, Melton was not good in that game. Why is my client being demoted? You know, quote unquote, demoted, however you want to discuss Benched. that. I mean, look, well, real, I was just looking it up real quick. Maxie did end up playing seven more minutes than Melton. Yeah. So Whatever. like you could, that's what the coaching staff or the front office or whatever would say, right. Is right. he got to play more minutes. So ultimately on merit, he was the guy who played when the game mm -hmm. really counted. Um, but still it's like, it's a prestige thing. It's a thing that comes up in contracts and, you know, where do I stand in the team hierarchy, blah, blah, blah. Um, I understood why they went with Melton last night because with all the wings available, the Clippers are just a, a big athletic lineup and so you try to put out one of your bigger more athletic lineups but just something well, to keep an eye on that's well that's what i wanted to ask you so doc comes out and says they have three starting lineups right which you know it's kind of like if you have two quarterbacks you don't have any i do wonder yeah. if you have three starting lineups you don't actually have one but we've seen all three of them right we, well we, i guess we don't know what the third is in theory we but can we speculate right like i think guard it's lineup right? three guards with tobias and joel it's right. Melton with Tucker or Maxie with Tucker. Right. Like that's, that's it. So what do you think? Well, two questions. One, what do you think will dictate what starting lineup they go with? And then the second part of that would be,
do you think he'll be doc will be conscious of making sure he gets different starting lineups in and making sure Maxi starts? Or do you think he genuinely will pick the lineup each night that he thinks gives them the best chance to win? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's going to be a mix of both. It'll be a mix of both. Like, I do think he wants to play small. Like, I I don't think Doc could have been convinced to play three guard lineups as much as he has if that wasn't something that he actively wants to see Mm -hmm. and develop before the playoffs. Because transparently that group has not defended well at all in the minutes they've gotten yeah. not a huge surprise given that Harden and Maxi have their problems on their own and then you add that Tobias and Melton are not like a plus level defense like Melton's a good defender but not really the best on ball guy so there are problems that stem from that but Doc has wanted to give that a go so I do believe that they want to try to see all these lineups and give themselves the best chance to win. I think if anything, Doc is definitely aware of the politics side of managing an NBA team, right? Like this is not, he's been around the block long enough that he knows the influence of agents and managers. And now in Maxi's case, he's a new balance sneaker guy. So like, that's a whole nother world where there's influence coming from people on that side of things. Again, I do think the most important thing is that Maxi is this ultra upbeat, positive kid. As long as he sees, you know, I'm still getting time and reps and touches and I'm able to influence the team. I don't think he cares that much right now, so long as it's not, you know, costing him money in free agency. Um, And to stick to the Clippers game, I do think that was sort of the idealized version of Maxi as the sixth man. And I do think one change that Doc made that helped empower that in the first half Tobias Harris was with Maxi for maybe not all of that run, but most of it. And having that second like legit scoring option on the floor with Maxi makes a huge difference because if you're playing him with Tobias, there's at least, you know, some, some ability to go somewhere else. Whereas when it's, when it's Tyrese with like Niang, Tucker, yeah. Harrell, and maybe Shake Milton who Shake played pretty well last night. That's just asking way too much out of Tyrese to try Mm -hmm. to carry that group. And as a playmaker too, as you've talked about, right? Like if he's with guys that need others to create offense, it's not when he, when he's at his best point blank. So you talk, you talked about Tyrese as a person, as a personality uh, or a person, I guess I should say not personality, but have you been around Melton enough to get a feel of how he might handle this? Cause we agree. Maxi seems originally and like right now, like he'll be able to do it. How do you think Melton would handle it if all of a sudden, he doesn't, he's not starting for, you know, 10, 15 games in a row. 
I think he'd be fine. I mean, time will tell, but he mm-hmm. was in a role that it switched fairly often in Memphis. Like there were playoff games where yeah. he would basically just not be involved because he had a poor game or whatever it was. And, you know, at least in my following from afar of that team, I never saw like, all right, he only played 15 minutes this night and then is asked to play 30 the next night or whatever it is. I never saw that impact how he plays. Like he's one of the guys that I think consistently plays hard, does quote unquote the right things, all that kind of stuff. I don't think he's someone that you have to worry about going AWOL. The the only reason I would keep an eye on him is that next year is a contract year, right? So like that's going to weigh on on his mind, on his representation and so on and so forth. And so, you know, how that impacts how he goes about his business is, uh, is unknown at this point. Again, as I said the other day, the number one thing is just keep winning. Nobody complains. Well, yeah. I shouldn't say nobody yeah. complains, but far fewer people complain if they feel whatever they're sacrificing is contributing to winning. And so <laughs> to weirdly bring it back to Joel Embiid, as long as he plays at this level, everybody else has to shut the hell up and just yeah, fall just, in line, right? Like, yeah. if that guy goes out and plays like that, the rest of these guys have to just say, look, we have one of the best players in the league. Me, me, me is not getting the team anywhere. I'm going to do whatever I can to help this guy be, you know, the leader that we need. And so, in a weird way, all of this ultimately traces back to their best player. Well, and also... I think that the doing the maxi off the bench, experimenting with that, I've brought up a few times, but I do actually think it's a factor. The fact that they're on the West Coast, they're not getting a lot of attention. They're winning right now. It'll be interesting to see when they're back home. Maybe they struggle. The really tough stretch you said they have coming up in March, which is a bit of a ways away. But there is when you'll really see, all right, how really down is PR, is Maxi, Melton, maybe Tucker for not starting these games? Because Winning, as always, is the ultimate deodorant. I hate using that cliche, but it, but it's true. Like when when you're winning and everyone's playing well, yet yeah, nobody complains. But when the rough patch hits, that's when we'll really see uh, how the players feel about this uh, this these three starting lineups. So the other thing uh, you wanted to get into, the ringer has written something that has <laughs> uh, gotten under your skin. Uh, Taking a uh, you know, I guess what was it a shot at Harden, basically. Yeah, so, and I think it was a good article overall. Um, Zach Cram wrote an article for The Ringer about, you know, the Sixers' improvement, and Mm -hmm. they look more like a a normal, good team. But he had a paragraph in here that I I wanted to just pick out a little bit. uh, Embiid doesn't have a true co-star to measure up against multi-star outfits like the Celtics, Bucks, and Nets. Harden is no longer a top 10 player in the NBA, let alone an MVP candidate. And so I just want to dwell on this for one second. None of the Celtics, Bucks, and Nets have a second player in the top 10 or an MVP candidate, right? Like, Correct. Kevin Durant, MVP candidate, top 10 player. We both agree on that. Jason Mm -hmm. Tatum, MVP candidate, top 10 player, MVP candidate. Giannis Antetokounmpo. MVP candidate, top 10 player. Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving, and Chris Middleton are not on that level, right? Like, they're all top 25 players. They're not clearing any, either of those thresholds that, that are, are laid well, out there. 
I'm not sure Chris Middleton is deaf. I know you're just throwing a 25 out there, but to kind of emphasize your point, Harden is better than Chris Middleton, I think. Um, and I didn't feel that at the beginning of the year. Uh, Jalen Brown, you can debate. You know, I think Harden does way more on the offensive end than Jalen Brown does, but as an overall player, you can debate that. Kyrie, certainly we know what he can do. But to your point, to me, this sounds like something I would have written if I was only casually watching the Sixers and wasn't doing this pod with you. Like, I think well, he's he's underselling how good Harden has been this year. And also, we saw Kate, or Harden play with KD and Kyrie. Yeah. He was firmly the second best player on that team, and that was like a compromise version of Harden, right? Like, mm -hmm. Kyrie had to take the backseat in the, in the ball handling and all that to James Harden. James Harden ran that team. So yeah. to suggest that, like, I, look, I get it. Kyrie's a little younger. He's a more dynamic scorer, all that stuff. But, like, to say that he's, like, not at Kyrie's level is just really silly given that, one, they played together and we saw how that worked. Two, that Kyrie historically, like, if Kyrie's been the guy on the team, that dude has won jack shit without an all-time talent next to Good him. Good point. He leaves LeBron, goes to Boston, when he was available for the playoff series there, had like nuclear meltdowns mm -hmm. in the playoffs. Meanwhile, the Celtics, after he gets hurt, go on a run, beat the Sixers in 2018. He leaves the team. They get even better. They have a another meltdown in Brooklyn last year when he's there for half the year. Like to suggest that the Brooklyn Nets have like a better number two than James Harden is kind of silly. That Like I get it. Kyrie is an ultra talented guy, but he's also an absolute wing nut. Like I, mm -hmm. I don't know how you could trust him in any way that really matters. So, you know, I just, I take issue with that. Not because I think um, that James Harden is on like a completely different level than these guys, but to say that he's a level below all those guys, that's just totally unfair to yeah, and what he has done this year, the level of production he's offering, like, to say it with the Bucks specifically, Chris Middleton hasn't played like most <laughs> yeah, of this year. Yeah. So you're comparing it to a theoretical guy who's going to play. And in that sense, even Kyrie is like a theoretical guy because we don't know what's going to happen with him. You might decide he's going to be anti-Semitic or racist to somebody else or, or there's a new vaccine that he won't reason. take or, you know, he's he's got to attend to a family issue and miss right. like two weeks of the season. Like, I don't know what the hell that guy's going to do. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. So if you removed Giannis, Tatum, Embiid, and KD from their teams, I think the Sixers might be the best of those four teams. Just in terms of having somebody that can carry them. Like, because to your point, when Kyrie's been on his own, he, they've been hot garbage. Chris Middleton can't carry a team on his own. Brown, we could debate. I think that one's a little more interesting. But I think Harden, to your point, like if the, if the, if the point of the, the paragraph is to say, that basically he doesn't have the running mate that that other teams do that other these other teams do. He's basically saying that he doesn't have someone he can count on if he's not playing well. But I would argue that if all four of those guys left their teams, Harden is the one you would want to have as your number two because he he will be able to most carry the players around him. So I think it might be Milwaukee, but it's such a theoretical. The only reason I say that is, is and I, I think better? Middleton is, I think Middleton's probably quote unquote, the worst of those guys. Mm -hmm. But I think the structure there is better suited to win without Giannis. Like they have, they have a Brooke Lopez who, you know, he's a, a very good interior defender. 
they would have Drew Holiday as the second guy in the backcourt that he's hot and cold as an offensive player, but at least like you're getting two-way play out of him every single night. So, but to your point, like, look, I don't think that he is, if you took all those guys out, I don't think he's like a level (laughs) below any of those guys, let alone like multiple levels. So um, I just, I think, and again, I'm not trying to shit on uh, Zach Cram too hard because you know. No, look, man, he wrote he, he watches a lot of basketball, and... blah blah blah. But like, yeah, I think that's a little bit um, ignorant of of how hard how good Harden's been this year. Well, it kind of ties up the theme, right? Like, Joel's not getting enough respect. Maybe Harden's not getting enough respect for what he's done this year and the improvement he's made off the last few years. And I, again, I was probably guilty of it too. And as we say all the time. And not that Zach is not, but people that are not watching the Sixers are not seeing what an improved team they are and how good Harden has been. So, all right. I feel like we've t- got gotten to a bit of everything. Um, extra pod this week, as we talked about, doing it yeah, on man. a Wednesday for the people. I think, look, had I not tweeted the pizza thing, would Kyle want to record? Who knows? But I tweeted the pizza thing. Kyle came in, fired up. Anything else you want to kind of touch on before we wrap this up? No, that's why we do the pod together, Elliot. That's uh, <laughs> you. You're the take guy that yes. gets me a little riled up sometimes, and then you know we just somehow do a 50 minute pod when we said we were going to do about 30 minutes when we talked this morning off of one game too, and especially when they're not even <laughs> struggling. Um, so we'll, we will probably be back this week as we talked about. Where where do they play next? Thursday night. Thursday in Portland, which Portland is always a house of horrors for the Sixers. Now, that was a house of horrors before Harden came here. So we'll see uh, what that looks like. But it's Portland Thursday and then Sacramento at 10 o'clock on Saturday in the middle of the Eagles game. So that one, we might get to that one like next Friday. (laughs) Or or probably never unless there's a major injury, (laughs) which which God forbid there isn't. But all right, so we will try to come back. on Friday, you know, see what happens in the, the Blazers game. As you mentioned, they've struggled there. So maybe we get a good old doom and gloom pod. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, we'll see how things go. But um, this was fun. I enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back on Friday. Once again, this has been the Clap Your Hands pod. Elliot Short. And, and like, remember oh. to download the Odyssey app. Look at you, man. Auto download you. on the Clap Your Hands podcast. That there is, you go. Give us some five-star reviews on your podcast app of choice. Hopefully the Odyssey app. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> Well, what I really need to do is I do need to remember to say the five-star review at the beginning of the podcast. That is where I'm going to have to. So if you're still listening, you're obviously enjoying it, leave us that five-star review. I will do it at the beginning of the pod next time. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on Friday. See you guys.